Welcome back to How I Deal, where we examine a single pass-close deal, how it played out that way, and provide some sales tips straight from the front lines that you can use in your deals today. My name is Taylor Dollum, Full Cycle Account Executive, now Content Guy, and I'm joined by my co-host, Junior Latte, the sales Grinch here at Pickle. What's up, June? It's episode 32. We're really leaning into the sales nicknames here. But the sales Grinch, as in I try to disqualify people as compared to qualifying them, uh, for some reason, people just love it when they can't have it. You know what I mean? So that's what the Grinch is all about. Not really, but maybe give it a watch and let me know. (laughs) If anything, we're full Grinch at the moment. But a quick explainer for those who are tuning in for the first time. Each conversation, we chat through a single pass deal. What that means is from start to finish, we want to know every aspect from when you saw them on LinkedIn for the first time, all the way to getting that closed, signed document and kicking off implementation. Today, we've got more Asuline. He's done some really impressive stuff. He was employee number one and VP of sales at Practice Panther, a law tech company, which is pretty rare. He's a sales mentor with Bravado. Bravado is a community for salespeople, kind of like your LinkedIn, but specific to salespeople. He's a, he was a VP of sales for Akendo. Now he's running from demo to close, a training and coaching program for AEs. More, give us an interesting fact. Tell us about your role and the problems from demo to close solves. Yeah, for sure. And not to toot my own horn, but I'm also a mentor at Techstars and Endeavor. Both are early stage like incubators for startups. But uh, so my first job out of college, my first like real job or like a big boy job was a sales job. And uh, within the first day, the first hour of the job, I quit because I was petrified of sales. And I thought <laughs> I would just take the job because that's what you're supposed to do. But I went to the boss and was like, this isn't for me. And, and then I avoided sales for like two, three years. So it's funny that I got back into sales with this. <laughs> You face back your- into sales and back into coaching account yeah, exactly. specifically. <laughs> awesome. Tell us, tell us about uh, from demo to close. What problems do you help AE solve? Yeah, there's plenty of content online around prospecting and generating leads. But where I come in, it's what do you do when you have the lead on the hook? So when you're doing the discovery call, the demo, the follow-up, the close, the actual deal flow, how do you do it? What do you do? And so I built out demo to close FTTC, which is a university, which is a course and has a coaching slash training side to the business where I work with AEs either directly or through the course through a group. We work on discovery, demo, follow-up, close. Part of it is like using like tonality and how to coach them on communication, soft skills. That's all part of it. Incredible. You're a super busy guy, Mort. Thanks for walking us through what you're up to and what demo to close solves. But we're fascinated with hearing how you do it, right? That you teach it. Now we'd love to hear how you go about it. And that's the point of the pod. We'd love to hear what deal are you walking us through today? So I'm going to talk about a deal. It wasn't when I was a VP of sales or an AE at a software company. It was when I launched my business about a year ago. The reason I'll bring up that deal, number one, is because it's recent. A year is, is pretty fresh. And number two, it being a founder is more like enterprise sales, where it's there's it's less transactional. The deals are creeping and they slowly trickle in and it's harder to close. It takes longer to close. So it's more of an enterprise deal. So I'm going to bring up a deal. One of my first deals that I closed 
If I remember correctly, this is going to be like a B2B SaaS company. You're typically looking for series A type companies. Let, yeah. Let's go into yeah. how you became aware about the company. And then yeah. I know that research is obviously a big piece here. So talk about that too. Yeah. So I'll give you a little bit of backstory. So I started my company around October, November of last year. I had cushion in the bank, but then I realized that I had a short runway before I have to dip into my savings. So I had cushion in terms of the business, but not, but beyond that, I was like, I have to dip into my savings. I'm very conservative with money. And so I didn't want to dip into the savings. And I also didn't want to get a full-time job. I wanted to do this. So I said to myself and my wife, we have one month for me to close three clients in enterprise dollars, which is enterprise could be $40,000, $50,000. And I was like, I don't know how I'm going to do it. The spray and pray type of thing where I'm going to blast out a thousand emails probably won't work. I need to be really specific here. What was it like? I think it was an Abraham Lincoln quote. You have had eight hours to chop down a tree. I would spend seven hours sharpening my ax. Mm-hmm. So it's the same idea here. So I was like, okay, I'll spend the most time on the buyer persona research. So who do I know that I know really well? I know what the problems that they're dealing with. And when I do speak to them, they know that I know my shit. Um, and so I was like, all right, B2B SaaS, Series A, because they have the funding. If there was a seed round, it'd be a difficult pitch. So Series A, they have the funding that potentially recently got a Series A in the last 12 months that doesn't have either has a VP of sales that's hiring a lot of AEs or it doesn't have a VP of sales that has AEs. The latter made more sense because it's like, who's managing the AEs? Who's managing the account executive? Either the founder or somebody else, but that was like the target. And so I started doing research using LinkedIn and different websites like angel.co, et cetera. And you can do filter based on how much they raised and you can filter based on if they're hiring for AEs and you can filter out. So I did like research, like VP of sales in the search of the company and I couldn't find anyone. So like, all right, there's clearly, there, that's a gap there. And so I did this for a handful of, uh, and I say handful, like literally, I wasn't, I didn't have like 30 leads. I was only working with maybe 10 that I was going to email. And so that was the format, the research that I was doing prior to shooting out the email. We've talked about trigger points in the past on this podcast, and it seems like you were just like locked in on the ones that matter the most to you being like the series A it's typically a founder, a CEO who is overseeing sales while they try to hire a head of sales or maybe promote internally. Maybe in some cases you see like an account executive team lead, right? And he's or she has a team of five or six. Maybe that's even like more of a goldmine for you because the AE is selling and trying to help, but they're not a VP of sales themselves. So it seems like the triggers here are super relevant and you've just got them locked in. Yeah, there's a clear, I know, because I know if there's no VP of sales, but there is a sales team, then it's either then, or there's no sales team, let's just say, and, but the companies like have, they have product, then it's either founder-led sales, or if they have a sales team, then it's founder-led coaching. Uh, and that's just a lot yeah. for a CEO. And so I know there's the, the, the pain there, so I can call out that pain mm-hmm. on that email. Pretty and My go-to is, is email. <laughs> I don't necessarily default to cold calling for a couple of reasons. If you cold call me right now, even though now we're like, we know each other, my phone won't recognize you. It doesn't know that I know you. And so I'll either get a scam likely, or it'll ring with a phone number that I don't know about, but it'll keep it silent. And so cold calls, I think are much harder to tap into nowadays, unless the person is expecting your call and has your number saved. So let's move to that step then, right? Like, you mentioned you had a month to, to close a couple yeah. massive deals that would change the life of your company as well as probably your own life. What? How did you go about prospecting them if it's not a cold call? And how the hell did you keep that sales breath out of it that I would be so desperate? Please sign up. Please yeah. sign up. 
And I also uh, have like two kids. So I'm, I'm like, shit, I need this right now. Yes. Yeah. Like, how did you just keep your cool and write a targeted message without just begging? Yeah. A, a lot of it, I had to work on my mental to not sound desperate through the email, but the, so I, instead of sp- spending 10 minutes on the email, I literally spent like an hour and a half on the email. Mm-hmm. Just like writing really good copy for a website or a landing page, you spend a lot of time on it and get a couple of eyeballs on it. I did the same thing. And so I was like, all right, what can I look to within the email that would call out a problem statement, but won't be generic like every other salesperson? I noticed that, blah, 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 blah. Saw that you raised Series A, blah, 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 blah. So, and I wanted to make it like a, an entertaining email at the same time and keep it short at the same time. And so I, if you want, I can I have the email open up right now so I can actually yes. use the email. And yeah. I'll use the prospect's name as Taylor for the sake of demonstration. And I'll use the company name as Pickle instead of the real company. But the subject line, that's part one. I was like, okay, that gets them to open up the email, not necessarily make a decision. So that's the whole, the first one. So the subject line was Pickle forward slash forward slash AE. That was it. It was short to the point. And then the email, I'll read it verbatim. I'll say it was Taylor that I was emailing. It would say, I said, hi, Taylor. Um, I'll make a discover here. I read the job description of the AEs that they were hiring because I know I noticed they didn't have a VP of sales. They were hi- they had AEs and they were hiring for account executives. So I read the job description for the account executives. And what I was looking for was anything that said discovery, demo, coaching, anything that I can speak to be like, yeah, that's exactly what I do. The first line of the job description said, did you know that lumber prices are outperforming Bitcoin? The company itself was a construction management software company. And so that was their opening line of their job description. Like, all right, I'll use that as a hook for, if they use it as a hook for their JD, I'll use that as a hook for my email. So I said, hi, Taylor. I did not know that lumber prices are outperforming Bitcoin. Parentheses, read that through the job description. Did you know that companies with dynamic sales coaching programs achieve 28% higher win rates? So that was the first thing. So I used their hook and then I rehooked them with my hook. Then I put out a problem statement. The problem is since more companies have gone remote, side note, I knew that they were remote because I saw the JD said remote, have gone remote, sales reps are receiving less coaching, mostly because of lack of bandwidth from leaders. Remember what I said earlier that they didn't have a VP of sales, which means it was probably the CEO that was doing the coaching that requires a lot of bandwidth. So I knew that was a pain point. What if I can get your reps to ramp up quickly, close more demos and hit quota using a sales co-pilot? Would that be something you'd be curious about? That was the email. That was the first email that went out. That was February 9th at 12.30 PM. It's a great Um, email. The piece that I think about the most within this email, and is something that I've had to think about more, is when you say lumber prices outperforming Bitcoin, and then you reference where you found that piece of information because they may have not themselves written the job description, right? right? Or sometimes people don't, I use the about section a lot, right? And if someone were to quote my about section, I might not remember everything that I wrote in there. So I would be like, hey, more X, Y, and Z. And then in parentheses, read that in your about section on LinkedIn and just like quickly reference where I found that information so that they can recall back to the moment. And I think it brings full circle, all the research that you're trying to do. Uh, And I also love that you're using their own format right? Like it's a format that hopefully the founder wrote, right? They're the ones trying to hire, but it's their own format and you're not using it against them, but more so with them, which is really cool. 
Yeah. And I think when you're a kid, the way I was thinking about drafting the email and how I think about drafting any cold email, when you're a little kid, you would have like those like drawing notebooks that would have like little circles, like dots, and you had to connect the dots. And that was like this whole thing. So it'd be like a star. So it'd be a point here. Mm-hmm. That's the whole thing. So I'm looking for these different points or pain points. And then my job is to connect the dots here. And that's how I think about emails. And that's why I think this email worked because I, my assumption, my hypothesis was founder-led or AEs, no, no sales leader, founders doing all the research. They don't have the time. And so who's taking, who's helping them? And so that, that's where I went into. Then I shot over a secondary email. That's my, I always send out a bump and that usually goes out less than a week within the first email. So two days after the initial email. And that bump is just thoughts, question mark. And then that was on February 11th. So February 9th, I send out the email. February 11th, I send the bump. And two days later, the founder responded back to me. Just quick, on the first email, did they actually see that? Or did the bump cause them to see it? Or did they ignore it? Good question. Reason? It's showing me that they did, but it's, we're talking about almost a year yeah, ago. So yeah, yeah, right. But I don't know. Like Sometimes they don't. Like I, I have emails that, of people that I expected to get their email. But mm-hmm. because my inbox gets flooded, it gets buried. And so that thoughts will just bump it to the top. Yeah. So it's possible they didn't see it. And then that thoughts, and, I, and I've seen that before happen with other emails. The, the secondary bump gets them to read the initial email. And do you find like thoughts itself when that's all it says, like it's a pattern disrupt, right? Normally it's, hey, I was just going to bump this up. Like, would love to hear about the XYZ. Let's book a time where it's just a very blunt thoughts. <laughs> Do you find yeah. more success when it's as simple as that? Or what's the kind of the reasoning? Yeah. I'm like, I like to test out different approaches. So I may test out instead of thoughts, question mark, I may say Taylor question mark, mm-hmm. same idea, yeah. but there's no point saying, Hey, just following up to see if you got my last email because the email itself is a follow-up. Yeah. There's no point repeating. I know right. you got it because you're seeing this one. <laughs> yeah. As per my last email, those memes kill me. Yeah. Okay. Show's interest. You book a discovery meeting. Tell us about the discovery process for you here. Yeah. So the discovery, it was interesting. So I initially emailed the founder CEO on the call. There was a secondary person that, that joined in. They were also an executive, not like a C-suite executive, but like sort of like a VP of marketing slash sales. And so they jumped on the call and one of the things I did was like ask them like, all right, talk to me about... So one of the things I think is really important, not, we didn't talk about it before, but I'll mention it now. It's really important that the discovery questions that you ask with, to a lead is very contextual based on where that lead came from. So if it's an inbound lead, that means they're already showing high intent interest. And you can easily ask them like, hey, why are you interested in speaking with me? You can ask that question. But if you ask that question to a lead that you've cold emailed, they'll say more, you, you reach out to us. <laughs> and so one of the, the first discovery questions that I asked them was, hey, Junior, you probably get a thousand cold emails every single day. And for whatever reason, mine stood out. I'm curious, what about my email made you say, hey, let's jump on a call. And so I'm calling out the elephant in the room, which was I've cold emailed you. And now I'm asking you, what about my cold email made you interested? That's a great place to start. It's like the initial interest, right? Keep going. Not to interrupt yeah. you. Keep going. No, 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 no worries. And so what was I going to say? I lost my train of thought. Yeah. So VP of sales slash marketing, founder, CEO, most of my questions are open-ended. Um, I don't like to ask closed-ended questions unless I want them to say yes or no. So an open-ended question is like that initial question that, that opened up, whatever reason they give me, like, yeah, we have uh, six salespeople right now and we're just, you know, we don't have the bandwidth to coach them and do this and do that. That's usually the first layer of like their pain. I, it's usually an ambiguous sort of broad statement 
my goal is to get really get them to like be really descriptive and really like share the crazy challenges that they're having. So I just dug a lot more. So I would say something like, when you say you have six AEs and you don't have the bandwidth, how, how do you mean? And then they just start talking about their day-to-day and what the problem is. There are two things that I was looking for specifically that would be a red flag in their world, but a red flag in their world would mean an opportunity in my world, which was, I wanted to see if their demo win rates, number one, how many demos they're doing. Because if they're not doing a lot of demos, then it may not be a fit. But if they're doing a lot of sales calls and discovery calls and I come in a really good space. So I would ask them how many demos they're doing, how many calls they're doing. And then I wanted to know what percentage of their deals are they winning. For me, in my experience, when I've trained reps, the worst sales rep would close 50% of every sales demo. So that was my benchmark. So if they were closing 40 to 50, not that's pretty good. If they were closing something like really depressing, like 10, 15, 20, then I knew there was an opportunity there. The secondary thing that I was looking for was if they had a sales playbook. So I asked them like, hey, what are your demo win rates on average in the last six months, three months, whatever it is? And they, it was between 10 to 20. And then the follow-up question I asked them was, what, do you have the discovery scripts in the playbook or in the sales playbook or how does that work? And their response was, we don't really have a sales playbook. And so there was two, th- two red flags. I was like, shit, that's, it's, it's a big problem for them, an opportunity for me to come help. Yeah. Can you define a demo win rate? <clears throat> when you say demo win rate, is it I've had a demo and now we've converted to another meeting? Or are you thinking about like demo win rate as uh, the demo is closed and they've signed a deal? Yeah. Demos closed and they signed a deal. It doesn't mean one call closed, demo, and then you close them on the call. That means right. you do a demo. You could do multiple demos. I guess, well, for the sake of, for everyone, it's call it a deal win rate okay. in, in that case. Um, yeah. So they do a demo. There's maybe a couple of follow-ups, maybe seven follow-ups in the six-month period, whatever it is, and then they close. So out of all the deals that you've, or out of all the demos that you've done, what percentage of those demos slash deals have you closed? Yeah. And they're sitting around this 10 to 20%. Yeah. That's right. Because majority, because I specifically look at companies that generate majority of the revenue from the demos that they give, demo heavy companies like mm-hmm. Pickle and all, you guys all have demos. That's how you demonstrate the software. It's, yep. There's a PLG yeah. motion to it, but it's very demo heavy. Do you care like when you're assessing the deal win rate, demo win rate, however we want to call it? Like you said, some it might be like a very quick turnaround and one rep could close a lot faster, whereas another rep, Maybe they have a similar win rate, but it took them like five meetings to get there. Do you put weight behind those things when you're having those conversations? Does that does that matter as much too when it comes to deal time? Um, it, it doesn't. Yeah, it matters. For the example that you were giving, let's say you have a rep that's closing faster and another rep that's closing slower, but they're both equally the same yeah, demo win same rate. Same amount. But yeah. yeah. What I'd ask then is what's the trend for rep A and rep B? Gotcha. So I would probably bet that the churn for rep A is higher than the rep for rep for the rep B because mm-hmm. they may not be asking enough discovery questions and they're selling them on hype coupons, whatever it is. Yeah. And they're closing them, but then they have crazy churn 30, 60, 90 days later. Because it took a little more convincing, right? Yep. Uh, or they didn't hit the pain just correct. But they didn't use a discount as a crutch. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Okay. Fascinating. So this is not exactly a normal product demo. You're selling a service. Yeah. It's much, much different. But in the sense of the sales process and buying emotionally is yeah. similar. But what happens post-discovery in, in this? Yeah. So it's very, and I've realized throughout the last year and I was doing business, I'm like, this is very enterprise because in enterprise, a lot of enterprise, they don't do the demo after just the first discovery call. Maybe they have multiple discovery calls, then they do a demo. So it's heavily, it's really enterprise strategic, so to speak. 
no demo, but I have an option. Do I show them a slide deck as, let me tell you about my company and my pitch and what I'm offering you. So for the purposes of this, we'll call it a demo, but it's not, I'm not sharing software. There's no deck. I have a deck. I don't share. I don't use the deck. It's I communicate with a prospect face-to-face or zoom to zoom. So no deck. Um, I do have an Excel spreadsheet where I have like the math. So I have all my like discovery questions, like how many leads are you getting? What are conversion rates? How many of them are scheduled on a demo? What, how many of those convert and sales like them, all this crap. And so I ask them these discovery questions and I'm filling it in. It's important that I am telling them that I'm doing this because I, I want to be really transparent that I am taking notes. I'll say, Taylor, if you see me looking at another screen, it's because I am. I'm taking a lot of notes and I have spreadsheet here that I'm plugging in some numbers so you understand if I can even help you. And so I'll say that. And then so I have a spreadsheet on a separate screen, no deck, and I'm just communicating via Zoom. So I want to shift the attention. We, in the beginning, were talking about what you did, because at first it was a founder or CEO who brought in a VP of sales. And I found this really interesting, but you shifted your mindset from selling the CEO to selling the VP of sales and like emphasis on them because they're the ones who are going to feel the most pain from the account executives not closing as compared to the CEO who at the end of the day is going to detach and go on to oversee other things. Talk about that mindset because I think it's it's different here. Yeah. So initially my intention was clearly it's the founder CEO that's having all this pain point. When they brought in that secondary person on the call, the person that was leading the conversation was mostly the secondary person, which is interesting. So I asked them about what the role was, and it was clear that the person that's managing the AEs was this VP of sales marketing, but it wasn't a true VP of sales. And so when I noticed that they took control, they were asking a lot of the questions that I knew who the pain point was really resonating with. And so I shifted my attention to, instead of let's say doing a 90% CEO founder and 10% attention to the VP, I'd switch it. And so I was talking to, asking a lot of questions to this person and they were essentially my champion. And then the, the founder and CEO was a witness because they were on the call too. So my goal was to get the champion convinced that I can help. And yeah. so I knew when, when I end the call, they're going to have a meeting internally and the founder would say, hey, what do you think? And she could say something like, yeah, we, I really need this. I, I need this. This will, this will help me so much more with other stuff that you, the CEO, has have assigned me to do. And so I was selling the champion, which in turn would sell the CEO. I think it's really key to be able to shift your mindset away from what we think of the ultimate decision maker, right? Like the CEO may be the person who's going to sign this thing, but the person to drive it home and feel the most pain, we need them on board more than anybody else. Yeah. Um, I mean, how many times have you done like a call? I've done a call. And when I coach reps and they're talking to the decision maker, the founder and on a software and the founder is okay. Well, I need to show this to my team because they're going to be the ones using it. Yep. So it's like, the, who is the real decision maker? The yeah. team or, right? And why you've noticed like commercials, like early morning commercials before school, junior, you, you probably see it, your kids are like eating cereal, whatever it is. A lot of times they're putting cartoons and the commercials are about these like different toys, like the car, the Hot Wheels, whatever it is. Why? Because they know the kids are watching it and then they know the kids are going to go to their parents and then be a pain in the ass to the parents wanting them to buy the gift. They don't, the commercials aren't for the parents. It's for the kids. No. Yeah. Kids are the ultimate yeah. champion. The decision maker, the person that's right, the buying the, the toys is the parent, but the decision maker is really the child. 
Same That's idea. the freaking Nerf guns, dude. If yeah, I see another like Nerf that. commercial, I'm going to lose my mind. Okay, so it's running smoothly. You've shifted your attention. You're driving the pain home. Are there any barriers that arise in this deal? Yeah, big time. It's a double-edged sword. I'm going after somebody that has a huge pain, a huge problem, which I can solve. But because they have such a huge problem, they're almost too busy to start solving that problem. So they just deal with the shit that they're dealing with. Personal story, right now, I'm like really busy. I have a lot of administrative stuff that I'm doing that I need to lay off, give to somebody else. And so I need to hire a VA. But I don't even, I don't even have time to document what I need the VA to do. That requires a lot of time and thinking. I don't have time for that. So it's, I'm too busy because I'm too busy because I'm too busy. So I knew that was going to be a problem for them. And it was a problem. Like you could tell, she's like, yeah, I'm doing this, I'm doing this. I just don't have the time. And maybe we'll look at this next quarter because we're going to have, we're going to end the quarter and we're cl- all this crap. So it was really important for me to talk about the seamless onboarding to the point where it made it seem like they didn't have to lift a finger where I do most of the work, 90% of the work. And so that was a hurdle. And I think that's a hurdle with a lot of people that are even selling software. If you're selling pickle to somebody, to a VP of sales, and it's a early stage startup. As an early stage startup, a VP of sales is doing a thousand more things. They're, they have less manpower. They don't have the funding to hire marketing and this and that. And so they're thinking about how much time is it going to take me to even sit down and like plan this out. And so talking about onboarding and what this VP of sales won't have to do is a really important FUD, fear, uncertainty, and doubt to address. Yeah. It's really funny with the smaller companies. Will I fully be able to utilize this thing? I don't know if I'll be able to implement it to its fullest. And then on the larger end of the spectrum, is, is this going to be a massive distraction getting everybody on board and going trying to onboard this huge thing? And so like the two different mindsets almost coming down to yeah. the same freaking problem. And it's- But, but I'll, I'll say this, it's really important. And I talk about this in my university and on, on LinkedIn and stuff, but you ever watched the movie Eight Mile with Eminem? Yeah. yeah. There's that last battle scene, rap battle scene where Eminem goes and he was the, he, they flipped the coin. Eminem was the first one to go up. Mm-hmm. And then the, pretty much his session of the freestyle, the first part of it was him calling himself out. I do live in a trailer with my mom, et cetera, et cetera. He was just talking about all the objections that this other person was going to talk about him. And so I knew that the objections in the mind of this VP of sales slash founder and CEO was, we just won't have the time to even sit down and do this. So I proactively brought it up. Yeah. I would say something like, Junior Taylor, I know that this is something that you want to do, but I, I would imagine that you're probably thinking, how the hell are we going to have time to do this? And they would like nod, like, yes, that's exactly <laughs> what I'm thinking. <laughs> and so it's important to proactively call out the concerns that a prospect may have versus hoping that they would ask about it. And I think to continue the eight mile reference here, the actual effect of bringing up those aspects beforehand, they're like, I've got nothing to say. Let's yeah. just do it. They understand. And, and, they know, yeah, they know it ends that much faster. <laughs> yeah. It brings a lot of credibility to you as the seller, right? It's, okay. He actually works with companies like ours. You know, he's yeah. bringing up the problems that I'm already thinking about, but I haven't asked. That's a huge indicator that the sales rep like understands what is going to happen, what's going to take place. We've talked a lot about this in terms of like procurement and getting in front of all that kind of crap that you know you're going to have to go through at some point. And the we're we're learning that some maybe not the better reps, but thinking about it beforehand can make the deal go a lot smoother. 100%. And then that approach also is how I did it for the cold email. I got into the mind of the buyer persona and I used 
barriers or language that they're dealing with also. Makes sense. More quickly recap us the timeline, yeah. how long it took, how many meetings, yeah. how many communications, emails, text, and then where you kept all that info. Yeah. So part of this whole deal was like miraculous because I said to myself, I have one month left. So it was a one month sales cycle or less than one month, call it. Buzzer beater is what I would call it. Yeah. Buzzer, exactly. A buzzer <laughs> beater, do or die kind of situation. Uh, two cold emails. The first one was like the well-crafted one. And the second one was just like a thoughts bump. And then we had three meetings. The first two, the first one was a discovery, which we needed to do part two of discovery. And then, and then so the part two of discovery was the, la- the end of the discovery and then my proposal draft. And then the last one was we reviewed the proposal and essentially they were ready to sign up. That's awesome. Do you, uh, I know this Excel sheet obviously plays a big role. Do you have any secret sauce on the way you organize or keep information? Yeah, I, I wouldn't say it's a secret sauce because the way I do right now is pretty unorganized and I'm trying to revamp it, but I am obno- I take obnoxious amounts of notes. And so I'll write notes on the prospect's tonality, what they're wearing, any specific words they used. So if I notice that they're constantly using the words like, I don't know, yeah, uh, we have so much to do that it's really crippling us. I'll use the, I'll type in the words, they said the word crippling and I'll crippling. use that in the language when we're, we're talking. Yeah. Um, our, all the call recordings, I, I keep that there because I want to review my calls to see what I didn't do, what I missed. And then action items, next steps. I save that, those as well. Awesome. But it's all over the place. Like right now I have, I use Streak, I use Excel. I, it, it's not organized in a great way, which I'm going to consolidate it. Yeah. Maybe post-consolidation, we'll loop back to you too and see what you got. Yeah. Uh, but for now, hit us with three tips any account executive can use to inch closer yep. to close one from this deal, but also your sales career yeah, at large. For sure. So these three things are applied to any sales role that you do, whether it's B2B, B2C, car salespeople, whatever. The first one is don't assume that every lead is a fit. I think when you do that, you don't hype yourself up and set false expectations. And because of that, the way you communicate to the prospect comes out in a very confident way. So say something like, hey, Junior, I don't know. I appreciate you you showing interest in this, but I'm not 100% sure that you are fit for our business. But that's the whole point of this conversation to see if I can help you. And if I can't, I'll be happy to refer you to somebody else. That's a level of confidence that that people want what they can't have, and they're going to want to deal with you even more so. And it builds trust very quickly. So that's number one. Don't assume every lead is a fit. The second one is take an obnoxious amount of notes. Take notes on like really like obvious stuff, like their pain point, and take notes on things that are very subtle. Maybe like I can't see right now because you're assuming it's minimized, but there's like something on the left side of your shoulder that's a sign. Like I'll take a note of that if I can see it. I'll write that you have an AirPod on one ear. I'll write like the tonality that you're using, the shirt that you're wearing, surroundings. I'll write all those things up because I'll use that as part of my communication with the prospect. And the third one is don't always ask for the sale, which in other words, asking for the credit card to do business with them, ask for the close. So in asking for the close would be, let's just say this was our discovery call and you're a prospect and we don't have enough information for us to do business today. The close would be me booking you for a follow-up call. That's a close. So always ask for the close. Maybe that's a follow-up call. That's the next step. Or maybe that's getting Taylor or the CEO of Pickle to jump on a call. More awesome tips. It's been great chatting with you. If people have been meeting with Taylor, they would be like taking notes, obnoxious notes of his hats, right? Okay. It's a Chargers hat this time. It's a Pickle hat this time. It's a Jazz hat. Like it's all over the place. And you can embed that into the way that you work with Taylor to get him to do some marketing spend. Yes. Just some thoughts for people trying to prospect the guy. More. thanks so much for joining today. Appreciate it. 
And just like that, another episode of How I Deal is in the books. Thanks more for joining us. Fantastic podcast today. And thanks everyone for tuning in. We will see you next time.